0: Hey, Marshall here to tell you about an incredibly easy way anyone who loves brewing and drinking beer can save a little bit of money. In addition to supporting everything we do here at Brewlosophy, the American Homebrewers Association recently introduced their free Brew Guru mobile app. It offers a searchable database of homebrew recipes, including popular craft beer clones and hundreds of award-winning recipes from the national homebrew competition. What's more, Brewguru Guru has a searchable map of deals at breweries, beer bars, and homebrew shops. Grab the free Brewguru Guru app for iPhone and Android devices today and follow the path to great beer. It may be difficult to remember in these days of super hazy juice bombs, but clarity used to be, and for many still is, a sought-after attribute in beer, with brewers employing various methods to ensure their finished product is as beautifully bright as it is delicious, one of which involves adding a curious ingredient to the boiling work. This is the Brewlosophy Podcast. I'm your host, Marshall Schott, and today, contributor Jason Cipriani joins me to talk about the role kettle findings have played in brewing, as well as some experiments we've done on the subject.
1: I think for... All of us, uh, at least if you visited, you know, a local homebrew store or even researching online, one of the first things that you are uh, taught or at least read about is adding kettle findings, whether it's Irish moss or some of the other varieties in uh, available through various outlets. And uh, kettle findings are something that I mean, it may not be the most glamorous thing we cover, uh, but you know, uh, compared to like something like mash temps or something like that, but it, it it may or may not have a very important, uh, impact on the end of the beer in, not only in what it looks like, but you know, how, uh,
0: how it tastes. Right, right. Well, the very first batch I made. Um, came with a little baggie of this brown, gross looking stuff. You know, like you said, it's not, not you know, it's not the most uh not the prettiest of things, but right. uh, and I was told that it was like, you know, it was it was like from the ocean and all of this stuff, but that if you put it in your wort, you're gonna have a clearer beers. You know, and so everybody from the very beginning, every brewer I know, uh started off, you know, and, well with a bag of Irish moss or a tab of whirlflock. Well, and that- uh let me change that for you because
1: I only started using Lock, um maybe five batches ago. I, for whatever reason, thought there's no way that adding stuff in the boil is going to make a huge impact on the end uh, quality and clarity of my beer. And so um, it wasn't until recently uh, that I started actually using Werflock. So I didn't start off doing it. I was, I guess I felt like a bit of a rebel and didn't want to go <laughs> down that road. The whole
0: appeal to authority step yeah, that all yeah, of us I go through. I just did not
1: want <laughs> to do it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later, but yeah, the last five or six brews uh, I have, I have used it and I have noticed a bit of a difference.
0: That is, that's interesting. Yeah. I guess I was being a bit, you know, grandiose saying that every brewer I know, but, but the, the truth is I, I actually, I've brewed with a bunch of people and as a normal part of their process, it seems that adding either Irish Moss or whirlflock is just, you know, you don't even, it's like almost, you do it thoughtlessly. I know I, I still use it and I don't even realize I'm doing it. I just, it's part of the process, you know, it's in the line. Of things that I do. So, well, we're going to get all into the impact that we're, that Irish Moss and Whirlflock and other kettle findings have. We're going to talk about some experiments. Um, that's what this show is all about. But first, we want to remind people that Homebrew Con is right around the corner. Uh, it's going to be amazing. We're going to be there with our friends from Yakima Valley Hops, Mecca Great Estate Malt, and uh, of course, Imperial Yeast at our humongous expo booth, which we just solidified our plans on. It's going to be so cool. You're going to walk right in and basically, bam, you're going to see us. It's gonna be we're awesome. going to be recording on the back of a truck. It's going to be so awesome. And uh, hey, Jason, I know you're super excited for this. We just finalized our plans for our annual karaoke night. It's going to be Friday the 28th at 9 p.m. I believe. 9 or 10 p.m. We're not quite set on what time we want to start this thing uh, at the Trio Club. And uh, we're just going to kind of go, at this point, I think we're going to kind of go donation-based to help cover some of the costs. We don't want to deal with having to set up an Eventbrite page or anything like that. Uh, But we've got room for about 75 or 80 guests on top of uh, who we're all bringing. We're going to have our own bartender. We're going to have some snacks there. And we're going to have basically an endless supply of vitamin R.
1: It's it's going to be huge. I remember last year about this time is when you and I first started about me contributing to philosophy and as I followed Everything through uh, HomebrewCon, and eventually saw the karaoke night pop up. I was <laughs> incredibly jealous, and uh, seeing you know the stage layout for what we have, the room you booked, and, and everything that's going to go on this year, I cannot wait. And uh, bonus points if there is anyone who shows up
0: with a choreographed routine, it it needs to happen. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I we can chore- I've got some plans, you know. I've got some, I got some, some songs in my back pocket that I've been talking with people about, but awesome. nothing choreographed at this point. But it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a rad time. Um, if you're interested, if you're out there, you're going to Con and you're interested, um, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you know, we're trying to keep this thing as informal as possible, but I'm, I'm happy to like hold spots if people want to like, you know, I guess, kind of donate early or whatever. Um, that's totally cool. I wish we could open it up to more people, but we we really do only have about seventy five spots. And I've heard from a ton of people who plan uh, to be there. You will. You, something to keep in mind is that we're cutting out a little bit early from the um, the pro night, or I think they call it the kickoff party now. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to stay late for the kickoff party, then, you know, karaoke may not be for you. Uh, but it's going to be cool. Uh, the night before that, on the 27th, uh, we're going to be hanging out at Imperial Bottle Shop on Division Street in Portland, Oregon, with our friends from Imperial Yeast. They're, they're having a cool uh, a- a- event called Insane in the Yeast Strain. Twelve different beers, all made from the same base wort and inoculated with different yeast strains. So come hang out with us there. I think Jersey and Tim might might be doing some reviews. We don't know yet. But, uh, uh, but HomebrewCon, June 28th. Through 30th. It's going to be rad. Hope to see you all there. Uh, if you appreciate what we're doing here on the podcast and over at the website, please consider doing something really simple to help us out by bookmarking and using the links found at brewlosophy.com support wherever you shop online. Uh, we have links for that. And uh, by bookmarking those, we're going to get a little bit of a kickback Um, just a couple of pennies, you know, Uh, but you get a couple of pennies from a bunch of people and it adds up. So uh, we'd really, we'd really appreciate your help there. Uh, If you want a little something more tangible in return for your support, head over to patreon.com slash brewlosophy to check out all the cool rewards you can get for becoming a patron of ours by committing to a monthly pledge. Uh, Easily the most popular is our $5 level, which gets patrons a unique monthly discount to Yakima Valley hops, uh, as well as an invitation to... A live q and A session with really smart people. <laughs> this month it was uh, actually, well, last month it was John Palmer, and uh, we did that last weekend, and it was amazing. Uh, he answered, you know, 35, 40 people were able to make it to this session, and he just answered all of their questions right on the spot. Super cool. Uh, coming up next, we've got BJCP Grandmaster Judge and Brewing Better Beer author. Gordon Strong, good friend of the show. He's, he's just a nice guy, uh, super knowledgeable. Uh, you can ask all of your questions to Gordon and he'll answer them for you. So uh, we've got some other fantastic guests lined up as well. Charlie Bamforth, we're talking to Vinny from uh, Russian River. He's trying, to get, he's trying to get it set up as well. So uh, check out all the rewards at patreon.com slash Um I'd also like to ask those who haven't already subscribed to the podcast, to do so and then also rate it and review it. The feedback is super helpful and it actually helps people who aren't already listening to the show find us. Um, So if you could just subscribe, rate and review, we'd really appreciate that. Thanks to the 200 people who have already done that. Finally, t-shirts are now available (laughs) at yakimavalleyhops.com. This is something we've been talking about for a long time. Currently, we have three T-shirts. They're all kind of new. One of them is a brand new design. Super comfortable shirts. Probably the most comfortable I've i got in my closet at this point. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, man. They're Yeah, high quality shirts. I, I don't know why we didn't do that earlier, but... <laughs> it takes time. <laughs> um, but they it are, takes time. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but they are available. So go check them out, yakimavalleyhops.com. You can just search for Brewlosophy there. All right. We've got some feedback, which is brought to you this week by Brewers Hardware, who specialize in triclover-compatible sanitary fittings, conical fermenters, kettles, and brew stands. Brewers Hardware offers a variety of unique and hard-to-find items for both the home and craft brewing markets, including high-quality stainless fittings at competitive prices and very fast shipping. They're also very excited to announce the release of the BCS-482 control system. With eight temperature inputs, eight discrete inputs, and 16 discrete outputs, the BCS-482 provides everything needed to fully automate your brewery. Learn more about this product and other great gear that they sell over at BrewersHardware.com. And don't forget to mention Brewlosophy at checkout to receive a free gift. That's BrewersHardware.com. All right. This bit of feedback is um, in regards to episode 31 on wort aeration. It comes from David Hagen. Now it's really long and I went through it, tried to figure out how I could cut it down a little bit, but I feel like everything he says kind of, it's kind of important. So I'm just going to go ahead and read through it and then we'll comment on it. Awesome. So David says, I was taught you should aerate your wort after cooling below 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 27 degrees C, and before pitching yeast. So that's what I did using a plastic wort aerator and agitating my fermenter for five minutes after siphoning. About 15 years ago, I was introduced to the idea of using pure oxygen as a means of aerating wort. It seemed easier and safer than agitating a glass fermenter, yeah. (laughs) And so I adopted the practice. I immediately noticed a decrease in lag time and more robust fermentation, so I continue to use the method to this day, though I'm not as dogmatic about it as I once was. Uh, One thing I'd like to point out is that aerating wort was never touted as a means of changing the character of the finished beer but rather reducing lag time and encouraging a robust fermentation and thus decreasing the possibility of contamination and stuck fermentation. In your experiment cited, you would expect that aerated or not, barring an infection, incomplete attenuation, or stuck fermentation, that the resulting beers would be subjectively and empirically the same. Another reason aerating produced non-significant results could be attributed to the vast improvement of ingredients especially yeast. Uh, When I started brewing, dry yeast was considered inferior at best. And the only liquid yeast available seems to have had about 15 to 18 billion cells. And now Imperial is packaging 200 billion, he says. So the yeast we use, uh, we were using then may have needed all the help it could get. And aerating made more of a difference with lesser yeast. Um, with today's yeast, it's probably just isn't necessary anymore. Uh, You guys certainly have given me something to consider. Since I have the equipment, unless I'm short on time, I'll probably continue to aerate just as insurance, at least until the O2 cylinder I have runs out. Uh, What do you think, Jason? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I think he's on to something there. Like we've talked about
1: many times and and everyone on Brewlosophy has talked about is just the improvement overall in um, quality of ingredients that we have. I think yeast is part of it. Malt is part of it. um, And processes overall. You know, I mean, uh, we're doing things a lot less, um, complicated, I guess, or in
0: depth as maybe they were doing when they first had to aerate wort. And, um, yeah, no, I think David makes some great points. Um, and it's sort kind of right in line with my thoughts as well, at least when considering wort aeration on the homebrew scale, right. You know, just 20 years ago, uh, the yeast options available to homebrewers, like he said, just weren't nearly as viable as they are today. Um, frankly, they kind of sucked, you know, um, in, in fact, in the, uh, in the, Q&A that we did with Palmer, he was, he was talking about this a little bit, like back, you know, just 20 years ago or so, the yeast that people were getting, you, you were basically doing everything you could to the wort to make sure that yeast did its job. And these days you don't have to worry about it nearly as much, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't aerate at all. I never have. I mean, once in a while I'll give, uh, the fermentation vessel a quick shake, uh, before I pitch just Just two, you know, there's never been really any rhyme or reason. It it obviously is not introducing as much oxygen as uh, a proper oxygen wand and, and, you know, hitting it with 60 or 90 seconds of pure O2. But I've never had any issues with, with, you know, uh, yeast taken off or, or fermenting out or doing anything like that.
0: Yeah. Same boat. I, I, I've never used Puro two in any of my beers and have never had an issue with attenuation. That being said, I can see why using Puro two on the professional scale, which I don't have any experience with, um, yeah, might, might be, you know, but it might be more necessary just partially because they need to do everything they can to sell that beer they, they, to ensure that that's not going to be a a ruined batch or whatever. Um, and plus they've got, you know, bigger pressures and all that stuff uh, just because of the larger scale. So
1: yeah, when you, when you're income is, is, uh, you know, relying on that batch of beer coming out quality and consistently, uh, you're going to make all the extra steps to have as much insurance as possible that, and you know, m- right. most bigger breweries, they wash their yeast and reuse it. And,
0: um, there's, you know, you want to take care of that yeast, right. right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, it's a, that's great. Um, great points, David. Thank you for, uh, For sending that in. Uh, If you have any show feedback, you can send it to feedback at brewlosophy.com. Jason will receive that actually. Uh, And now, you can phone your feedback in. Check this out. We've got a phone number, a voicemail line (laughs) that you can call and leave your feedback. And as long as you're not too vulgar, uh, we may just play it back on the show. Phone number is 951-444-0320. That's 951-444-0320. Leave us a message. Uh, We'll try to address all of your feedback on the show. How long until we get a uh,
1: Tim and Jersey impersonation call, you know, someone, <laughs> it's, got, yeah, it's right. bound I, to happen.
0: Yeah. Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. I, I, we've already got somebody out there who really, I really loves Tim and Jersey apparently on Reddit. So know, maybe BFFs. I'll be the one to call it in. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. Speaking of Tim and Jersey, a couple months ago, I received a beer from our friend, Will Watson, who goes by Hi Hat Brewing. Um, and he said that this beer was brewed with the goal of wanting to, quote, try something big and complex for the holidays. So he brewed this beer for the holiday season. Uh, taking a unique spin on a wee heavy, Will not only added molasses to the boil, uh, which brought the OG up to 1094, yay! Uh, but he also tossed in some fresh spruce tips at Flame Out, something neither I nor the guys were aware of prior to reviewing it. One
2: Minute Beer Review with Jersey and Tim. Whoa. Let's see. It's not as dark as we're used to seeing. It's also not Ooh. as light as we're used to. It's like a middle, it's like middle of the road. It does not smell good. Well, don't you that doesn't define things. <laughs> 90% of what we do is watch each other sniffing yeah. beers. <laughs> 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 nah, it smells great. What are you talking about? I demand an increased contract. I don't have to deal with this unprofessional buffoon over here. <laughs> Whoa. Gosh. No, we're gonna like it more and we drink it more. I, I, well, I'll tell you, the first uh, the first impression is rough. It was pretty rough. There's all kinds of things going on. I don't know what to do. I feel like if I knew a lot about beers, I would like this beer. It would be a really good beer to be like, you don't like this? Well, you don't understand, you, you don't know, know you Borafil don't know and Borafil, about. you know? Because this is there's a lot going on that we don't understand in this one, dude. There is. And I don't want to understand it. Yeah, I understand enough to know it's not for me. I am not gonna finish this one. Yes, you are. All you right, are maybe totally gonna maybe finish that one. God, I don't even have it. it's like uh, taste it's leaving in my mouth is, is uh It's like varnish. You've eaten varnish. Oof, dude. I just like it. Um it's just a... I don't... It's, it's not me. It's some new style that we've never even heard of. Ugh. I declare this a beer that I do not like. Ugh. My face is getting warm. I mean, it's it's not
0: bad here. You can take... I'm not going to finish this. First off, you have to understand that these guys hate it when they don't like a beer. Even though I've explained over and over again that the people sending this stuff in are you know tough enough to take the truth and, and know what's going on. They, they expect that there's going to be... Not every beer is going to be loved. Uh, they really were not digging this wee heavy at all and watching them not like it was pretty damn funny. Um, again, I had to... Re- up on the info will sent me about the beer after reviewing it myself. Um, I was, I was completely unaware that he added spruce tips to it. Um, and the first thing in my notes, so w- without even knowing how this beer was made, right? The first thing I wrote down was pine salt. So it, it came through. <laughs> um, if you know, yeah. if the goal was to have that sprucey pine character, it certainly was there. Uh, not only did the pininess come through, uh, something fierce, but blended with the high ABV, it kind of gave the impression of like a, like a cleaner, like, like, like pine salt. So um, I sort of have to agree with Tim. While I've never tasted varnish either, (laughs) it had uh, what I would note as a solvent character, you know, and that's a pretty common off flavor noted in uh, in beers during uh, judging and whatnot. Um, But I'm not sure it had anything to do necessarily with like fermentation issues. I just think it was the super high alcohol blended with that pine uh, the spruce tips. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so those were my impressions. Definitely not my jam. Will, I hope you liked it. Um, but, but that is not a beer that I could just sit and crush. Um, the interesting though, and it was fun to review, uh, Jason, you've ever had a, a spruce tip beer before?
1: Um, I, you know, I was just thinking about that and I don't, I can't recall ever having one. If I have, it was, uh, done well enough to where it, it wasn't solvent, you know, and had all
0: those issues, but, uh, no, I don't think I have. I, I heard from uh, when when Ray was up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, a couple of months ago with Brian, um, they had he somebody like had him eat a spruce tip, and he was expecting that pine, you know, like a pine yeah. flavor. And apparently, he got it. was more like a sweet. He was completely shocked with the, with the character that this sprue tip, spruce tip had. So it makes me wonder interesting. If, you know, we're not using it properly down here. Because every time I've had a spruce tip beer, it tastes like I'm eating a Christmas tree. You yeah. know, and that's not not my jam and at all. And that's what I so. would
1: expect, you know. Right that, right. that flavor. Well, cool.
0: If you want your beer or any other fermented beverage that you make uh, reviewed by Jersey and Tim, you can hit me up, Marshall at brewlosophy.com, and we'll, uh, we'll get you all set up. Uh, we've got to take a short break when we come back the focus will be on pedal findings. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the largest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. They offer exclusive malts, yeast, and more from local artisans, as well as award-winning recipe kits. They also sell professional brewing gear and cask equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Most ingredients are available by the ounce, plus Atlantic Brew Supply has an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew. Orders are processed same day, and two-day shipping is guaranteed for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order using promo code BrewPod. That's B-R-U-P-O-D at AtlanticBrewSupply.com. When dumping wort-soaked grain and leftover low-gravity wort while cleaning up after a brew day, do you ever wonder what your true efficiency would be if that wort made its way to the kettle instead? Using the brew bag, a fabric filter for all mash tuns and brewing methods allows you to capture every last drop of wort. Not only does this increase kettle efficiency, it lowers your grain bill, which saves you money. Throwing wort in the trash is like dumping a 12-pack down the drain and just doesn't make sense. Use the brew bag and leave no wort behind. I've been using these filters for a long time and recommend them to everyone. I never have to worry about a stuck sparge and cleanup is fast and easy. Go grab yourself a brew bag fabric filter at brewinabag.com and be sure to use code TBP17 at checkout to get a discount on your order.
3: Compact and simple to use with a small footprint for brewing indoors. The Grainfather makes it easy for you to brew professional quality beers at home. The Grainfather is an all-in-one brewing system that lets you brew all-grain beer in a single compact stainless steel unit. It uses an electric heating element and pump to maintain a constant temperature and to circulate the wort during the mashing and cooling stages. It also comes with a counterflow chiller to reduce chilling times and produce high quality wort. And now with the addition of their conical fermenter, the Grainfather takes things one step further by offering homebrewers state-of-the-art temperature-controlled fermentation, just like commercial breweries use. And with the Grainfather Recipe Creator and Connect app, you can easily design a recipe, sync your brewing system with your phone, and then just sit back and relax as the app takes over and assures that you maintain your scheduled mash temps and boil schedule. Head to Grainfather.com to purchase your all-in-one brewing system today and to sign up for their free recipe creator tool. Once more, head on over to Grainfather.com, that's Grainfather.com, and get started today.
0: Kettle findings such as Irish moss and whirlflock are a normal part of many brewers' process, getting used as a matter of course because that's the way it's always been done. I remember being shocked to learn that Irish moss was actually a seaweed, uh, which makes me kind of wonder, like, how the hell somebody first thought to use this. Do we have any information on that, Jason? You know, in doing research in preparation for this episode, I. I looked all over, and basically
1: the only thing I could find is you know Irish moss is basically a seaweed that comes from the um, Atlantic. A- coast of north America and europe and it's been used for centuries now whether there was a country of origin that it started in i i couldn't find anything that said yeah it started in ireland or it started you know uh here or there it just is something that's kind of always been around and uh something that i think they started using after isinglass which is a a collagen substance from dried fish bladder um and then (laughs) as well as you know I even found something uh, related to using blood as a uh, finding agent. Specifically, it was ox blood, uh, it, but it was primarily used in wine and, and not beer. But it, at some
0: point, it was used in beer. It's so weird. I mean, like, where I, I, I think about this kind of thing with so many uh, aspects, not just with brewing, but kind of in life. Like, who was the first person who thought, "Man, I'm just gonna throw some of this weird fish bladder." Stuff. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw that. Like, who, the, who in their right mind thought that that would be a good idea and then it w- turned out to kind of work for them, right? Like it produced this clearer beer. Um, or man, ox people blood? Be weird. Like,
1: why are you just sitting around? Hey, I just butchered this ox, and I'm going to go ahead and dump some of the blood in my wine. Like, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I that thought process is is so foreign to me.
0: Well, see, I, and 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 it, we can go down a rabbit hole on this one. I bet somebody was like butchering the ox, and and as they're like bringing the hatchet back or whatever, it, like blood just went flying <laughs> into their wine, and then that that one that that glass just happened to be clearer than the other. I don't know. Dude. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird.
1: Well, the good news is ox blood in as a finding agent in the U- European Union. U- Union and the U.S. has been banned since 1997. So unless there's been, unless you could find a bottle that's been aging for you know a few decades uh, and came from a winery that used this practice, odds are there's no more ox blood in your wine.
0: Stupid regulations. Jeez,
1: <laughs> ruining the fun. So,
0: ruining the fun. Well, I think I think another one was um, a finding agent was like egg whites or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. They they would put egg whites in and you know, it would do its magic and supposedly clear up the beer.
0: Yeah, right. And then you get a wonderful meringue uh, foam on the top as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good head retention. So,
0: well, um, let, let's start with the basics. Uh, these kettle findings, the whole idea behind them is to produce a clearer wort under the belief all right that that the clear work will lead to a clearer beer um, I'm not sure if there's any other real you know, Argument behind the use of these kettle findings that they're going to impact the flavor or anything like that, right?
1: Yeah, it's all just an aesthetic appeal of a clearer beer at the end of the day, Um, and that process starts with kettle finding, uh, according to this practice.
0: And I guess they're kind of down the line. There are some benefits as well. If you have clearer wort um, and you're running that wort through a heat exchanger um, or you know um, a filter or something like that, then getting some of that particulate out ahead of time is going to make um, you know running running through a filter or whatnot all the easier or, or running through a heat exchanger at the end of the boil type of thing. Um, not gunk it up as as quickly.
1: Yeah, exactly. With the you know a uh, counterflow chiller or a plate chiller, where you really don't want a bunch of protein and um, other particulates going through and like you said, clogging it up. It, it's a good way to.
0: It's like insurance. Yeah, right. So um, interesting stuff, I think. Um, particularly, so the the two most common kettle findings that we use these days are Irish moss and then and whirlflock. Let's kind of break down both of these uh, these different. Findings and talk about what, they, what exactly they are and how they work.
1: Yeah, so Irish moss um, actually is in both Warflock and Irish moss, but we'll address Irish moss first. Um, it's a red algae. It's, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's called a Chondrus crispus. And like I said earlier, it's on the Atlantic coast of North America and Europe. Um, it has a high carrageenan. Content. I think it's carrageenan. Carrageenan. Man, see, You know when you read these words online all day and you have no one that pronounces them for you, it uh, it really jacks with (laughs) you sometimes. So carrageenan. I
0: think think Wikipedia. I think Wikipedia has like the uh, pronunciation thing that you know the robot will read it to you. So
1: (laughs) I I need more robots in my life. So carrageenan is is the active ingredient, basically, in Irish moss. That when you you put it in your boiling water, um, it's negative charged, negatively charged, and it attracts itself to all the protein and polyphenols that are positively charged in your boiling water. And as they are attracted and come together, they clump up and begin to fall to the bottom of your kettle. Um, So that is, you know, it's basically seaweed is what it boils down to um that dried up no pun intended yeah that you're (laughs) that you're throwing in there um whereas Whirlflock is a proprietary blend of irish moss and purified kappa carrageenan which kappa carrageenan is the same active ingredient from irish moss so you're taking irish moss plus a purified version of the active ingredient from Irish Moss and it's put together with like a wax binder into these tablets and I'm sure most of us have seen them they're real easy to break apart um, and that's what you use for kettle finding with wharflock. you throw that, that tablet in, you know 10, 15 minutes left in the boil, and uh, it comes apart really fast and starts doing the same thing as Irish moss does. Just it's kind of like on steroids. Um, and yeah. bigger breweries, I think, commercial side, they use a loose powder instead of the tablets.
0: Right. Yeah. You'll see. Th- you'll see some some places wh- they sell whirlflock tea, which is the uh, tablet form, and then some <laughs> places sell whirlflock G, which I believe is like the loose the loose form. But Irish moss, you know, this this red algae, this it's the stuff is super cheap. Like I, I think I bought three pounds of it, or or maybe it was just a pound of it like five years ago. And I'm barely halfway through this. You, you, you know, I use like wow. six grams in a five gallon batch. And, uh, but then I also, uh, you know, I'll throw in tablets of Whirlflock into my more beer, uh, cart just to get to the $59 free shipping. So I've got a crap ton of Whirlflock as well. So uh, you know, which one do you use? I guess it just boils down to whichever one I grab first, but right. um, it, you know, it, it's interesting. Anyone who's ever used Irish Moss or Whirlflock has, has witnessed, you know, you add this stuff, uh, typically in the last 15 minutes of the boil, we can talk a little bit about when to add it as well. Cause that, that became, that was an issue that came up a couple of years ago in a conversation I had, uh, actually like, like about timing of adding uh, kettle findings, but anybody who has ever added them has, has witnessed, you know, the very quick, um, clumping together of those proteins and, uh, it, it, you know, right. Like within two minutes of adding the stuff. I mean, it really does. That's where your egg drop soup and, and exactly. it really does seem to, yeah, it really does seem to have, uh, that effect so um and then and then the idea being that those bigger clumps are going to fall out of solution quicker, and then you can rack that clear wort off the top of of uh, that tube that, that kettle trube now um, and, and get that clear wort into your fermenter, which is said you know again not only to lead to um you know a, a clearer beer but apparently you know there's some argument we we've got a kettle troop episode out there and we're doing more experiments on kettle troop um, it being in the fermenter um, but but there's some argument that 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 being on that troop for too long can have negative impacts on uh, flavor and aroma and and, and whatnot so uh, that's thats that really is kind of the main purpose of these findings
1: yeah and I personally use werelock uh, I think I've did the same thing as you did, bumped it up to get free shipping for more beer. Um, it, you know, it, I figured, why not? Might as well take the plunge and start using it and see what it's all about. And, <laughs> and it was amazing the first time I used it, I watched it, it just as you said. It, it The top of uh, the boil t- started turning into egg drop soup and you can see these little particles fall into the bottom of, of the boil kettle. It, it happens so fast. Um, as far as yeah. timing goes, when do you usually add yours?
0: Well, well so when I, when I first started brewing, the um the the typical recommendation was to toss it in with 15 minutes left to go in the boil, mm-hmm. um and that was that was pretty common. I would see those I would see that you know recommendation in recipes online and whatnot for a long time. Well, a couple of years ago, um, I was talking with somebody. I think I had read it on um, Homebrew Talk or something like that. Somebody saying that it actually works better. Uh, if you add the kettle finding, whether it's whirlflock or Irish moss in the last five minutes of the boil and is close to two minutes left in the boil. Wow. Um, and the the idea being that if you add it too soon, you're going to get that clumping, but then the boil, the vigor of the boil will actually break those clumps apart and you're kind of defeating the purpose of the Irish moss. And I, it made sense to me. So I started, you know, just a few years ago, started tossing in my kettle findings uh, in the last some, anytime within the last five minutes. So if I have a, uh, a hop addition, that's between five minutes and zero minutes or flame out or whatever, I've done it at flame out even, and you still see that clumping. You don't, you, in my experience, you don't even need that, that strong boil. You just need a little, you know, stir it up and that hot liquid. And it really does seem to have the effect of, of just clumping up and dropping out.
1: Yeah, I read a little bit about this whole 5-minute, 10-minute, 15-minute debate, and from what I read is the longer it's in the boil, not only does the vigor of the boil have a chance of breaking up the clumps that have formed, but it also can break down the proteins that are or the active ingredient that's in the Irish moss and the whorl flock to the point where they no longer are attracting the positive charge proteins to clump up with them. So there, it wasn't a definitive thing, but it was a, a debate going on, um, of, even the uh, the manufacturer of wordlock w- was saying you know wait till around the five minute mark to drop it in uh, right now yeah. I've been doing it around 10 minutes it seems to be working okay uh, I purposely with the last five batches or so that I've used this on I have not find with gelatin uh just to see if the end beer not only the wort but the end beer was a little bit clearer. and it actually clears up pretty fast just using werflock which has been kind of hmm. interesting
0: yeah yeah definitely and we'll 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 get into that more as we discuss the experiments we've done with these things um another another thing to consider is how much of this stuff to use um i, <laughs> uh, I have a I have a buddy in town here who um, I think he might've had a few too many during his brew day. Um, and rather than doing, yeah, I think the common recommendation is like one teaspoon of Irish moss, uh, per five gallon batch or like a half tab of Whirlflock, Yeah, half tab. um, which, which can be kind of a pain in the ass to, to, you know, if you're, if you're a nut like me getting, you want to get exactly half. So I actually, when I use Whirlflock for a five gallon batch, I, I weigh out how many grams the Whirlflock tab is. And then I kind of shave off exactly half of that because wow. that's how I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just crack it in half and say, yeah, get enough.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? Some <laughs> of us can't do that. Okay. Um, but, but I, so my, my buddy ends up toss. I think he tossed in like three tablespoons. Oh, I don't geez. know what happened. But, um, I, I didn't get to try the beer, but he was, as he's serving it to people, they're like, why does this taste like the ocean? (laughs) They had that kind of, so, you know, it's not, this is definitely not one of those, you know, the more you use, the more benefit you get out of it sort of things. You really don't need that much. I mean, um, I, like I said, for five, for a five gallon batch, when I'm using Irish moss, which I keep in like a, a container out in my garage, I just, I just pick it up with my fingers about, you know, about a little, looks like a teaspoon or so. Measure out five to six grams. And I put that in uh, with my final uh, hop addition into the, into the boil. And that's all you need. And and with the whirlflock, Flock, the thing about the whirlflock Flock is that it does, it dissolves sort of slow if you toss the tab in, right? Yeah. Um, so you, it, it, you need to add that with, I think at least uh, with a little bit of time left in the boil, you know, five minutes is good enough. Um, and what I'll typically do is I kind of crush it up into a powder so I don't have to wait for it to to get dissolved. That makes to, sense. Uh,
1: it takes yeah. a little bit of time for that wax binder to break down and r- release it. Um,
0: yeah, and it, lo- and it looks like Alka-Seltzer when you add it, you know, like bubbles. It and- does.
1: Yeah, it really does. And then <laughs> as it bubbles, you see the clumps forming. It's, it's an interesting yeah, it's process. Crazy. I had a conversation with someone at a homebrew club meeting a few weeks ago. I was collecting data on a Hop Chronicles, the Simcoe Hop Chronicles Pale Ale. And, uh, it was really clear by the time I was serving it and and everything, it still had a bit of a haze, not as much as if I would have find with gelatin, uh, later on, but they asked, you know, how'd you get this clear? And I said, Whirlflock, that's the only thing I used. Well, how much did you yeah. use? And I was like, uh, half a tablet. Well, in the process of this conversation, they were putting in two tablets of Whirlflock for a five gallon batch, trying to get their beer clear. And I, I just was, that's way too much, you know? And so we had a long conversation about that and uh, and uh, possible, you know, downsides to using too much of it. But uh, yeah, all you need is a half tablet and, and you're good yeah. to go.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I mean, it makes sense like on a, on, on kind of a um, superficial level, like, oh yeah, if, if if a little bit clears up the word, then a lot's going to clear it up even more. Um, but, but, but again, this is one of those things. Um, it's sort of like gelatin and, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to get dig into gelatin a lot more in the future in its own show, but we have an experiment showing that when you use more gelatin than the, you know, recommended half a teaspoon for a five gallon batch, it actually has the opposite effect or seems to have the opposite effect in that it keeps the beer hazier. Um, at least that's been my experience in testing it out. And I'm, I don't think that by adding too much Irish Moss or Whirlflock, you're going gonna, you're gonna like to create a hazier beer. But I do think you can get flavor carryover from the, you know, it's an algae. I mean, right. the stuff is the ocean. If you smell, when I open up my thing of, of Irish Moss, it smells like the ocean. It smells like dried ocean, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's going to be some sort of flavor carryover there, I would imagine. Right, right. Well, so um, the, the active ingredient, we talked a little bit about carrageenan or what you're calling carrageenan. I'm not sure who's right on that. Um, the, that's the active ingredient. Um, you mentioned that it is negatively charged and it attracts the positively charged, um, proteins and whatnot from the boil. What, what else, what exactly is carrageenan and like, what is it used for? Is it used for anything else? And, and do they, do they have like a, like a, I wonder if they have like a, like an extracted version that's not in the form. of of this, uh, algae, which whirlflock does have Irish moss in it. So uh, like, I, I, I can't help but wonder if there's not like a powdered form that you can just sprinkle into your wort and it does the same thing.
1: Yeah. I, I wonder that too. Uh, mainly what it's used for outside of home brewing and Irish moss and whirlflock, flock and what we use it for is the food industry as a whole uses it as a thickening agent. And it's actually, it's not something that has just, you know, come about in the last, uh, 50 years, 20 years or whatever. It's actually been used since the 15th century as a food thickening Thickening agent. And I, I found reports of it, uh, used in like coconut milk, uh, things like cured meats and dairy-free cheeses,
0: stuff like that. There's something sort of gross about the thought of thickening agent to me, but whatever. Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, it's a form of uh, gelatin in a, in a way, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we, us humans figure out weird things and, and really use it to our advantage, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, that's, are there any downsides to using Irish moss or Whirlflock or kettle findings that you are aware of? Um, well, I guess when you're, you're
1: dropping out a ton of proteins, if you're using, you know, large amounts of it, let's say two Whirlflock tablets, other than the flavor carryover, um, you have to wonder if, if the lack of proteins would have some sort of impact on head retention. Um, I've
0: certainly heard that argument yeah
1: yep and um, you know it's another thing you have to pay for which honestly as cheap as it is when you're first starting home brewing and getting going or you know trying to build up your home brewery to the way you want it to be uh, every dollar counts you know and yeah. if it's one more thing you have to pay for and one more thing you have to worry about keeping in stock it is the you know is it really worth it
0: totally totally it, well the, the biggest uh, contention that I've heard against using, a whirl flock has to do with this impact that it might have on head retention. Um, But it seems like most people think that the impact it has on clarity outweighs uh, that risk. So, um, well, we have done a couple of experiments on this, of course, uh, looking into the impact of kettle findings, which we're going to get into when we return from this short break. After a long brew day, the last thing I want to do is waste more time chilling wort. I've tried so many different options, and ultimately I settled on the super-efficient immersion chillers made by Jaded Brewing. With the King Cobra and Hydra, I'm able to chill my entire batch of wort from boiling to just a few degrees above groundwater temperature, in as little as six minutes. If an immersion chiller is right for your brewery, then do yourself a favor and check out all of the rad options Jaded Brewing has to offer at jadedbrewing.com, and be sure to let them know Brewlosophy sent you. Shopping for brewing supplies online can be a real hassle, which is why we recommend love to brew They've got great prices, super fast shipping, and they carry exclusive products like East Coast Yeast, the Brewers Essentials brand, and their award-winning beer recipe kits. They're also the only place you can pick up your very own Brewlosophy recipe kit. The numbers don't lie. Love to Brew has hundreds of five-star reviews and thousands of brewers are choosing them for their supplies and ingredients each year. Experience the difference at lovetobrew.com. That's love, the number two, brew.com. As every brewer knows, the best beer requires the best hops, which Yakima Valley Hops provides fresh from the source to brewers around the world. Carrying everything from classics like Cascade to modern favorites like Galaxy and Mosaic, as well as other ingredients and gear, Yakima Valley Hops has it all. And don't forget to check out their new podcast, The Late Edition, where the YVH crew goes into depth on our favorite plant with industry experts. Head over to yakimavalleyhops.com now to see all they have to offer and subscribe to The Late Edition wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Founded in 1978 by brewing pioneer Charlie Papazian, the American Homebrewers Association is a division of the Brewers Association focused specifically on protecting and promoting the hobby of homebrewing. In addition to their work lobbying for the rights of homebrewers across the country, they're also the primary sponsor of BrewLostFee.com. By joining the AHA, not only are you supporting their cause, but you get a ton of benefits as well: discounts at brewers across the U.S., early access to tickets for events like the Great American Beer Festival, and you get to attend HomebrewCon, the world's biggest gathering of homebrewers. Head over to aha now to sign up to become a member. One of the big selling points of craft beer back when I became obsessed was that it was unfiltered, unlike the crystal clear swill sold in 30 packs. Still, many brewers uh, understood that drinkers were interested in a nice-looking beverage and relied on other methods of clarification, including kettle findings. Of course. Uh, There are those who believe any such step reduces the positive qualities of beer, uh, which we wanted to test out. And so uh, I did that. I did that very thing back in, I think it was 2015. I designed the first Irish moss experiment. You can find it on the website by searching for the Irish moss effect. Um, And it was a simple experiment. I brewed 11 gallons of an American red ale, uh, collected that whole batch of wort, and then uh, homogenized it and split it evenly between two kettles. One of them was boiled with all the hops and uh, Irish moss added, and then the other one was boiled without the Irish moss, got all the same hop additions, was treated exactly the same with the exception of the Irish moss. Um, And I, I think I used exactly five grams, yeah, about one teaspoon of Irish moss. That I tossed in with 10 minutes left to go in the boil and the other one received nothing.
1: Yeah, I'm looking through the pictures here on the post-marshal and it looks like you have the Irish moss carboy on the left and the no Irish moss on the right and they look pretty much the same as soon as you transferred them from the kettles but then a little bit later you could start to see the Irish moss batch start to kind of settle a little bit more and it looks a bit darker. Do you remember anything about that?
0: You know, the, the, so I think that, you know, when it, when you rack wort to a carboy before it starts to settle the, the particulate that's in, that's in solution makes it look lighter. So I think that was what made it look darker. Um, I, what I did is I left both of those carboys out for 10 minutes just to observe any differences. And sure enough, like, like you're noticing the, uh, the Irish moss wort definitely dropped clearer, than the wort that didn't receive any yeah, of the fining. Um, I mean, after just 10 minutes, there was this hardy layer of trube at the bottom of the Irish moss carboyle while the other one looked almost unchanged.
1: Yeah, and you could see kind of it, the um, egg drop soup kind of look to what's laying on the bottom of the Irish moss batch. Yeah. Um, so it looks like these both fermented out Pretty much the same, right? Ended up with 1016 final gravity. Um, Yeah. And as you were taking the final readings, the Irish moss looks slightly clearer than the no Irish moss. But depending on the lighting and how you look at it, I think. That's exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. The lighting may have an impact on that because they they look pretty similar overall. I mean, uh, there's not much of a difference there. Obviously, there was no impact on fermentation um, just based off of the the gravity readings. Uh, And then you have a ton of pictures here of the, uh, beers after, uh, carbonation and, you know, putting them in the keg and whatnot.
0: Right. Yeah. I went through a whole series of, uh, of getting, uh, I wanted to make sure to track any changes that, that were observed, um, after kegging one thing to point out, I did not find these beers with gelatin. Um, the point being, I, I wanted to see just the impact, uh, Irish Moss would have not only on clarity, but ultimately on the uh, flavor, aroma, and mouthfeel of these beers. Sure. Um, so they were kegged without fining with gelatin. And I started pulling samples, like you said, Jason, uh, about three days after kegging. I usually wait about a week before collecting data um, on experiment beers uh, just to give them time to condition and make sure that they're both you know equally carbonated and whatnot. Uh, so I started pulling samples for myself just to take pictures at day three uh, after, after kegging. And those beers, uh, you, you can find the pictures for yourself over on the website they looked exactly the same to my eyes. Um, and then I took a sample at one weekend. So four days after that. And to me, they looked exactly the same again. Uh, Jason, you're looking at the photos. Do do, uh, what, do you see any differences between them? Those first two shots? No, they, they look the same. This is one of my theories at this point. I'm going, okay, you know, the, the, the kettle fine, the, the Irish moss batch isn't different at this point. You know, at one week in, like when I started collecting data was one week in, right? Right. I think it was about one week, maybe 10 days or something like that. And I'm thinking, why, you know, why is this not clear? The wort was so much clearer than the one that didn't receive any Irish moss. Um, what could be the reasons for that? And I started kind of formulating these hypotheses. One of them is that, uh, you know, I, the, the yeast that I used, which was the Safale USO5, isn't necessarily known for being super flocculent. So, um, and that's in my experience using that yeast in, in the past, um, it can take two or three weeks uh, for the yeast to start dropping out and, and the beer to start to clear up. So I kept on going and taking more pictures of these beers side by side. At two weeks post kegging, the beers were very similar, but I did start to notice that the Irish Moss one was starting to look a little bit clearer, kind of on the edges you could see through the beer a bit. And then by three weeks... The um, three weeks after kegging, to me at least, the Irish moss beer was noticeably less hazy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I you know, like you said, I'm looking at the pictures right now and I, I see the same thing you did. And I think you used USO5 on purpose, right? For this experiment because it, it was a less flocculating yeast and, and you wanted to see what kind of impact it was. But not only that, because it's a pretty popular yeast that homebrewers use.
0: Um, yeah. It, I, that was the main thing is I the how popular that yeast is. You know, um, it, it seemed most applicable to me to use something so common uh, for sure. Yeah. So, Um, And well, then I I took a final shot at five weeks uh, post kegging and it didn't look much different than the three week one. Uh, So, um, but But there's a clear difference. They are different. Exactly. Yeah. They were definitely different. Um, And and something I really wasn't expecting was that the beer find with Irish Moss actually had surprisingly better foam formation and retention, um, which you can see in the pictures.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And since using it, as I've gone back to a few times, I've seen the same thing as well with the bears I made with it. Now, I haven't made a side-by-side batch or anything like that. Just observation on my end. My head retention right. has seemed to be a little bit better after having used Warflock. So.
0: which Which is super interesting because yeah. the argument that I heard like as a, as a reason not to use it was that it would never negatively impact, uh, you know, head retention and whatnot. And it seems to do exactly the opposite that it has yeah. this, um, at least from this experiment and in our personal anecdotal experiences. Um, well I to, for I wanted to see also uh, besides just the appearance factor, if people could reliably distinguish a beer that was fined with uh, Irish moss from one that wasn't. And so, uh, I sent uh, you know, I collected data from 15 people, and uh, in that group included James and Steve from Basic Brewing Radio. I strongly recommend you go go look for that uh, episode. It's kind of fun to listen to those guys taste these beers, as well as a friend of Brewlosophy, Olin Suddeth from Brew United. Um, so they were they were included in the participant panel. 15 people. Um, at that number of participants, we would need nine in order for us to uh, reach statistical significant. We would need nine of them to identify the unique sample. Um, but in the end, only eight people did. Uh, so eight out of 15. You know, barely. Over over half, but, but, um, so that, but not, you know, doesn't reach that, that threshold for significance. Um, so we couldn't say with, you know, with any, uh, uh, you know, confidence that people could reliably tell these beers apart. Now I do think James and Steve felt that they were both different and were pretty confident about it, but they also, I, if I recall correctly, I think they, they drank them out of clear glasses. Yeah. I kind (laughs) of, I just went back and listened to that episode and they were able to pick it off
1: right away, but they were drinking out of clear ga- glasses. And because of, you know, in the pictures we've demonstrated, there was an observational difference here. Uh, it's right. not hard for them to pick the right one or at, no. least tell, <laughs> yeah. at least tell them apart, you know?
0: Right, right, right. Well, despite knowing that there was a clarity difference myself, when I was blind to the appearance, I was completely unable to tell these beers apart based just on flavor and aroma and mouthfeel, even after five weeks in the keg. I mean, I kept doing this one over and over and over and having my wife serve them to me and I could not tell them apart. And it's, you know, I think that's an interesting uh, thing. If I, you know, when, when I can see that there is a observable actual difference between two things, right? My brain says, okay, they're going to taste different. That's just the way things work. You know, I feel like as humans, we do that. And the fact that I knew these beers were freaking different and I, and when that was hidden from me, I couldn't tell them apart. That's always such a weird and unique experience for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it goes to show a lot why, why home brewers, especially we don't have all this fancy equipment to filter out beer and get it clear. Um, We're always chasing better ways to clear our beer up because if it looks better, our minds are going to tell us it
0: tastes better. (laughs) <laughs> isn't that the truth and when it looks super hazy and muddy like uh, our minds might work in the opposite direction <laughs>
1: no i, I uh, may not would agree 100 percent with that but yeah you're, you're heading down the right path
0: <laughs> you just don't want to get in trouble jason that's yeah, uh, i like well, brian brian's my friend right <laughs> so what do these uh what do these results tell us uh basically what i gleaned from it was that irish moss affects clarity over time and doesn't seem to have much of an impact on other beer characteristics um and that that's really i mean that that's all I got from this. It, it does seem to have an impact on uh foam formation, which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, so, so as a, as an aside for shits and giggles at the end of this experiment, once all of the data was collected, I decided to find both of the beers, whatever was left over with gelatin, just to see what would happen. And within, and you know, they, if you go look at the pictures uh, in that article, they both maintained a pretty, a pretty hardy haze. I mean, they, they weren't clear, you know? No. Yeah. Um, within about two days after adding gelatin to both of the kegs, they were crystal clear. I mean, the gelatin just cleared them right up. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Makes me wonder. I mean, you have to remember one, one of those batches didn't have uh, kettle findings in it and it still cleared up with gelatin. So, you know, there's that argument, like maybe you don't, if you're going to, if you're going to fine with gelatin or biofine or clarity firm, something like that, maybe you don't, you know, the kettle finding is kind of a moot point.
1: Yeah, one or the other or both. What, whatever. Yeah, yeah.
0: Interesting. So, uh, well, well. Um, the the other thing is that that perhaps the kettle finding would work faster with a more flocculent yeast strain, um, working together to create a clearer beer. For example, something like. Imperial Yeasts AO2 Pub Ale, which I'm pretty sure is the Fuller Strain. I've used this strain many times over the last year, and similar to my experience with all Imperial Yeast, fermentation was quick to start, vigorous, and produced the beer I expected, thanks to the 200 billion cells of pure yeast packed into each Pitch Right pouch. If you haven't tried Imperial Yeast yet, you're late to the game. These dudes care just as much about homebrewers as they do everyone else, and they're doing rad things for the hobby. Go check them out and everything they have to offer at imperialyeast.com. You will not regret it
1: that was an incredibly smooth segue that was thank you top (laughs) notch that one took
0: forever for me people love these these uh these live read ads too so it was awesome um (laughs) i we the thing is i do love imperial yeast like we're not it's not like they're you know anyways go try imperial yeast it it is the best (laughs) i've ever used yeah i'm fully Um, on board with that they're they're awesome so the, um, the second experiment that we've done on this was focused, rather than being on Irish moss, on whirlflock, And I believe Jake brewed an English bitter for this one.
1: Yeah, it looks like he brewed not best yet strong bitter. So maybe it was a work in progress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he do, brewed two identical batches, uh, same hop addition, same fermentation schedule, water profile, all of that. One batch got roughly half a Whirlflock tablet where the other batch did not. Um, in right. Looking through these pictures here, it looks like um, he took some pictures of the actual... Boil kettle with the finding and no finding agents, and or the with whirl flock and no finding, and uh, there's a pretty stark difference in those pictures there, where uh, between the two with the whirl flock looking. Quite a bit different.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, it, it. Like we keep saying egg drop soup, but that that one that has the whirlflock tab in it looks like something you would scoop out with a ladle and eat. You know.
1: Yeah. And kind of making me hungry. Um, <laughs> both, both batches actually uh, had the same OG of ten fifty six, and they fermented out with the no fining batch uh, finishing at ten fourteen. Uh, the whirlflock finishing slightly lower, ten thirteen. Not really that big of a difference. Um, yeah and you can't really see at least, um, right before he started cold crashing and carbonating the bears, you, you don't really see much of a clarity difference in his pictures. Yeah.
0: yeah well, he, well, and when he was taking his, uh, his hydrometer measurements uh, at the very beginning, he left those, um, his hydrometer tubes out for a bit. And, you know, similar to the, the shot that I took of the Irish Moss carboys, The one that had the whirlflock in it definitely cleared up more than the one that didn't have the whirlflock. So same kind of the same observations as the um, as you know, as the Irish moss experiment that I did uh, in terms of the wort. Um, And something to point out, he actually used a a much different yeast. He used Y yeast 1318. That's the London ale three, which is commonly used for like hazy IPA. Right. That I think that's the. Yeah, that's the go to. It's the go to right for New England IPA. Um, and the idea behind using that one, he wanted to make this bitter, um, which is, you know, an English style. Uh, but, but, you know, if this is a yeast that is known to contribute, um, potentially at least to some of that haze, then it would be, uh, it's a, it was a perfect, you know, uh, yeast to, uh, use for this experiment because we wanted to see what the impact of that, uh, whirlflock would be on a, you know, an ostensibly hazier style of beer, right. um, Though, interestingly, and, and this is kind of an aside, I, I believe 1318 is actually a decent, like a decently flocculent yeast strain. I've made a British golden with that strain and it dropped crystal clear without finding. I don't think I, really? f- I find it uh, if, uh, yeah, p- after the fact. Just, you know, use my regular Irish moss. So.
1: I've only used it once in a New England IPA, so I, I didn't touch it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it was hazy anyways. Yes. Yeah, the findings were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so he, so, uh, these were the observations made, uh, use, you know, when he used his whirlflock flock were pretty similar, uh, to what they were with the Irish moss. He, uh, fermented these beers out. They hit basically the same final gravity. I, you know, I, 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 look at those pictures of the, of that FG hydrometer and I see 1.0135 versus 1.013. So there, you know, that thing is so sensitive that it can look like a, a bigger difference than it actually exists. Yeah. There was um, barely a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. So well, once he kegged those beers again, he skipped gelatin finding. Um, he took his first samples nine days after kegging and right off the bat, noticed that the Whirlflock beer was clearer. It wasn't drastic, but it was definitely clearer. Yeah,
1: it, it, it's actually you have to remember whirlflock. Like we said earlier, is Irish moss on steroids, so it's it, right. you know, so it's gonna act, it's gonna work and act a lot faster than just using Irish moss on its own. So in a way, it's not surprising that it was clear much faster if you go back to the Irish moss experiment. Um, but yeah, it was pretty quick that you started to see a difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then after three weeks in the keg, that difference was even ampli- am- amplified a bit. Um, and then finally, a month—you uh, know—a month in the keg, the whirlflock beer looked almost commercially bright. Yeah. Uh, while the non fine beer uh, maintained a noticeable haze, and which I—I I think that's pretty impressive—speaks um, to uh, the claims, you know, that 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 people make that that whirlflock will help you to clear up your beer. I mean, it seems to support that. Um, and even more interesting the, and again, this kind of jibes with what happened in the Irish Moss experiment, the bitter that was fined with Whirlflock seemed to have better head retention and better, um, uh, better lacing. I mean that, that foam was just tighter packed. It looked more creamy. Um, I mean, that's so fascinating to me that this carrageenan, you know, seaweed stuff seems to have this impact, this very positive impact on, even if it's just appearance of uh, the beer.
1: Yeah. Overall, I was just going to mention that as well. It, it, from the pictures alone, you can tell there's better head retention there. The lacing is going to be there. And yeah, it, it, it is fascinating. May, maybe the whole possible downside of using it is when people use too much, right? Maybe that's where it, people have gotten in trouble with it historically. And that's where the perception of he- impact on head retention has come about is just not using the right amounts.
0: Yeah. Per- uh, yeah, or not using any at all. That's like a that happy medium or something. Yeah. Um, well, Jake served this uh, experiment, these beers, to 19 participants, which would require 11 to get it right in order for us to say that it was significant. And like the Irish Moss one, only nine were able to get it right. So, uh, again, we, we failed to reach significance on this one. And uh, when Jake uh, was w- attempted it himself, this is kind of the the weird thing. And this happens yeah, very rarely, but it does happen. Um, he, Jake was able to consistently identify the whirlflock beer, um, when he was doing his own blind triangles. So he, he, his experience was not like those of the participants, which doesn't mean that they're bad participants. He was very biased. He knew everything that was happening with these beers. He knew what to look for and maybe that matters, but, um, he, but he was able to tell these ones apart. So, um, eh, I think that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and overall, i take these two as a whole. It's kind of not surprising results, right? I mean, it's, it's at least what I would expect from something that isn't supposed to have any impact on flavor or, you know, if making a beer thin or, or not or anything like that. It's, it's strictly an aesthetic uh, portion of what we do as homebrewers to kind of clear up the beer a little bit. When when you're serving something blind um, and people can't see that clarity and as long as your brewing practices are, are identical, you're going to have two of the same beers overall.
0: That's what it seems like. Yeah. So Jason, what about you? you going to keep using your world flock that you just got into using or what?
1: I think so. I, I I have no downsides to it so far. And even if I decide to skip finding, uh, with gelatin in the keg, I still, am going to have a relatively clear beer without having to do any extra work, uh, you know, heat up the gelatin and mix it in and do all that stuff. Uh, I'll be fine. So yeah, I think I'm going to keep using it uh, at least for the near future until the bag runs out and I need to order some more tablets, uh, uh, what about you? I mean, you have plenty on hand. Sounds like you'll be using it for the long term as well.
0: I mean, you know, the th- my, my thing is like, even if I was totally against using it, I would use it just because I've got so much in my garage, both <laughs> Irish Moss and Wolflock. Like I said, I, I I add those little packs. I think you get like 10 tablets for three bucks or something. Yeah. And I use that as my way to get to the free shipping at beer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I, I'm just going to keep using it for that. But I do like, I mean, uh, you know, I've noticed... Um, I kind of didn't put this together until chatting about this with you, actually, but I, I get surprisingly good head retention on beers that I'm not using any carapils or carafomen or anything like that. And I, I can't help but wonder, to, you know, to what extent that's because, it, again, as a matter of course, I toss in you know, a little bit of whirlflock flock or a little bit of Irish moss into, right. into my boil. So yeah, I've um, definitely you know, seen that
1: f- advantage as well. And, and it seems to be there, you know, and maybe that's something we need to test, uh, more exclusively as well as is it possible to add too much kettle finding? Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, you know, it looks like these kettle findings do what they're said to do. And, uh, you know, if, who, who knows if it's necessary, if you're doing other forms of, uh, finding later on down the line, but it looks like, Uh, you know, Jason and I are going to continue using our, our kettle findings and, and we're happy with it. So, uh, well, if you want to read more about these experiments or any of the other stuff we're up to, you can head over to brewlosophy.com. The Brulosophy podcast is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as all of our rad listeners. We seriously could not do this without you. Cheers to everyone who has subscribed and left a review of our show. It makes a huge difference. If you haven't yet, please consider doing so. Head over to brewlosophy.com slash support to view a list of ways you can easily help us to continue producing this podcast. If you want a reward for your support, visit patreon.com slash Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Brulosophy podcast. Until then, think beer the morning with some hot tea, lemon and honey cause it suits my bro,
3: put some herb in the bowl, yeah it's home grown. ain't gotta go through the middle man no